and she would spend all her earnings, not think about, I'm not saying it was right, not think about the rent payment, not think about, she just said, we're going to go have fun. And she'd take all my brothers and sister, and we would leave and go to, we'd eat potted meat and bread, you know, and whatever. But, man, she was fun mom. Sharon, my kids, my grandkids, I mean my children, they all know she was fun mom. My stepmom, she wasn't fun mom. She was strict mom. But she taught me how to sew. She taught me how to do my own laundry. She taught me how to clean my room. She taught me how to make my bed. She taught me how to do how to make meals. She taught me how to do dishes. She taught me all those things. Strict mom. I needed strict mom in my life. And uh, she had such an empowerful impact on my life. And uh, she's still living today. In fact, I'll call her a little later today and, and uh, to just thank her for being strict mom. She don't, we don't call her that, but she's probably watching, so she probably is like, yeah, okay. I'm waiting for your call, son. So, <laughs> and then my aunt. My aunt was an incredible woman. Uh, my, my aunt impacted my life, her and my uncle, really, spiritually, in such an incredible way. My aunt used to make sure, she was one of those family members that she would make sure the church bus came to our house to pick us up. I remember one night I decided I wasn't going to Wednesday night Royal Rangers. I wasn't going to go. I was going to hang out with my friends. And so my brothers and my sister got on the bus, and they went to church, and I told them I'm not going. I don't need that. That night after church was over, my aunt, I saw her walk. She came to our house and was walking down the street, madder than a hornet. She came to the house that I was at, and drug me down the street and said, don't you ever miss church again. And I pretty much don't anymore. So, <laughs> so you know, and I'm sure you have your stories. And, so, you know, there's always all kinds of bad stuff you can think of, too, with all of these things. But, you know, life is the good and the bad, isn't it? But we choose to remember the good. So I am just so grateful. And, of course, Sharon, you know, she's just been an incredible mom to our kids. And she's a super grandma if there is such a thing, and uh, she'd give him everything if I'd let her, and uh, and uh, just uh, so I honor you today as well, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you for marrying me. So, did you find Samuel yet? So I had this great Mother's Day sermon, tribute to mom, and I kept hearing the words come out of the cave. I kept, that's what I kept hearing. Isn't that wild? It come out of the cave. And I was thinking, well, what in the world is that all about? Coming out of the cave. And that was the title of this message. And so, um, you know, the, the, the caves played an important role in, in Scripture. Um, two, two major ones that I'll talk to you about. One is, uh, was Elijah, whenever he thought he was the only one that was preaching the gospel. He hid, actually, Jezebel was chasing him down. He went and hid in a cave. And he thought he was the only one left of all the prophets. And so he hid in this cave, and then God called him out of the cave and gave him a revelation. Um, the other is David, and uh, there are other instances in the scripture, but David, and that's the one found here in Samuel. So if you've got that with me, let's read that together this morning, and uh, you read this at home as well as you're joining in with us. Verse 1 of chapter 22, 1 Samuel. David, therefore, departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, I want you to, when you, before we move into this, to know that David, what's going on with him right now is, is that he's in trouble. 
and he's been anointed the king, but he's got all kinds of problems. And what he's tried to do is he tried to go down and stay with the Philistines, which is like a total abomination anyways for them, for the Israelites. But he tries to go stay with the Philistines, and they're like, look, this is the guy that, you know, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his tens of thousands, and, you know, you can't let this guy. So what David does to try to get along with the Philistines is he acts like he's nuts. Now, I don't know what you would, you know, what you would define as acting crazy, okay? If I told you to act crazy, what would that look like for you? Because, you know, there are some people already think you're crazy anyways, right? (laughs) So what would crazy look like? So David's like totally acting like this totally bizarre guy that's crazy and he's lost his mind. And the king says, you can't, you can't, I don't care how crazy you are, you can't stay here. And so David ends up down in this cave hiding and he's feeling this just incredible moment of despair in his life. And so as we're reading here, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. You know, there's an old saying that says this, birds of a feather flock together. Because you know what? David is in distress, and David is in debt, and David is discontented, and he is gathering people around him that are just like this. And he became the captain. You imagine you say, I'm the captain, right? I'm, I'm in charge of this outfit. Isn't this wonderful? Look at all these people. They're distressed, discontented, and they're in debt, and they're unhappy, and they're disappointed with life. That's my crew. That's my, that's my army right there. And he became a captain among them. And there were about 400 men with him in this cave. You know, a cave could get real crowded real quick with 400 people in there with you. Man. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. All the time that David was in the stronghold. He wrote this psalm in Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2, while he was in the cave, actually. And here's what it says. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you with my heart. when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Man, I've prayed that prayer a lot of times in my life in moments of despair. You know, what are caves? Caves are dark places. Caves are separated places. Caves are caves are places that it's 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 you're not dealing with the sunshine. I mean, it's it's a hideout. That's what David's dealing with. And you know, in a lot of ways, that's what we've had to do is we've just sort of had to back away from all of the world and and things that we normally activities we normally wouldn't get to do. Uh, you know, we would normally get to do, we haven't been able to do. And I, and I know some folks are upset about not being able to go to restaurants, but that's the least of the things because it looks like everybody's pretty well fed here today. So I think we're finding ways to eat, right, even without restaurants. But I think it's just there's a, there's a sense within all of us, this, this separation, and we deal with that 
that separation of being away. And that's what David's dealing with. And even his family coming and then all these other people that are, you know, they're, they're in trouble and they come down to him and end up staying there. And he says, look, when my heart is overwhelmed, I can tell you honestly, there have been times in the last two months my heart has been overwhelmed, not because of money, not because of, not because of my health, but just overwhelmed with just this, the world seemed like 9-11 on steroids all of a sudden. It was just a very strange place to find ourselves in. And so the difficulty of dealing with that, and I'm not telling you anything that you don't know because you've all been in the cave with me. You, you, we've all been, had to stay in our little caves, in our homes, and, and uh, except, you know, mostly, you know, those unless we were working, to, those of us, uh, you know, were stuck at home uh, or working or would go to the grocery store. So let's talk about some realities of the cave, okay? One, uh, for David, and of course we see this here, um, is, is the cave, the realities of the cave is it's a place of sorrow. It's a place of difficulty. David wrote Psalm 142, verses 1 through 7, while he was in the cave. And uh, in fact, it says, this is a contemplation of David. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path and the way in which I walked. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, Lord, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors for they are stronger than I am. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully. You shall deal bountifully with me. You know, the realities of the cave is, is that it, the cave becomes a place where we deal with our sorrow, our sorrow of separation, our sorrow of the difficulty of the day, our sorrow of not knowing what's going to happen next, the sorrow of the media reports that everybody is influenced by, whether they want to be or not, whether it's we've watched it ourselves or somebody's told it to us, and so the sorrow of the day. But in that place in the cave, David knew exactly what he needed to do as he said, Lord, look, when I have no other refuge, you are my refuge, Lord. Be my refuge, God, and help me. Help. And I love it how David is saying, look, bring my soul up. Help me get out of this so that I can be the person you called me to be. Help me to move forward in my life beyond all the, you know, the surroundings that I'm dealing with right now in this dark cave. Help me find my way out of this, Lord. And I think what a powerful prayer for all of us to say, look, Lord, this may be where we are. We're not denying the realities of life, but God, I know you have something greater for us. You know, we sent out in our text to our text in church app, the, uh, I think it was Saturday, maybe morning, I sent out to you, you know, it says that God says, I have plans for you. Look, I know people say, well, the worst thing you could have bought this year was a 2020 calendar. Look, the year is not over. Life is not ended. And, you know, if that's our perception that the whole year is in the toilet because we've just gone through a couple of bad months, I think we're really missing out on an incredible amount of opportunity that still lies before us. The whole world needs to hear about Jesus. The whole world needs to know that Jesus is the King of Kings and 
He's the Lord of Lords. The devil needs to be put in his place where he belongs. Amen. By the church. Because we're the force in the earth that puts the enemy under the feet of Jesus Christ. And we are the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. And we've got to stand up for the right thing. Not, not, look, I'm not talking about, about, talking about the government. I'm talking about your adversary, the devil, who wants to put your life, oppress your life. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing everybody that was, an, was oppressed of the devil because God was with him. That's our role as God's people is to go in this world and help people that are being oppressed. But let's make sure that we're not the oppressed ones. Let's break the power of that oppression in our own life. Let's get believers to pray with us. And call out to him, sorrow may last for a night, but look, joy always comes in the morning. The cave is a place of sorrow. It's also the reality of the cave. It's a place of suffering. But you know, you can look at suffering one or two ways. And look, I'm not, I'm not, if you like suffering, I don't know what's wrong with you, okay? But suffering is a part of life. It's suffering, is, it's how you perceive the suffering you're going through. You know, I could take a muscle and I can go in the gym and, and I can work that muscle until it hurts and I'm suffering. It's, I'm not in there going, oh yeah, I love the pain. This is awesome, man. I don't come out of the gym going, woo, oh, I feel terrible. Isn't this great? But it's in the suffering that I become the stronger one. It's in the suffering that that which has kept me down now can't keep me down any longer. It's in that suffering moment. That's why the Bible, it talks about that Jesus, through the suffering he went through, was made perfect. How do you become perfect through suffering? Because you beat the suffering. Because you overcome the suffering. Because it doesn't win over you. It doesn't take your attitude down. It doesn't take your mind down. It doesn't take you down. You look at it and go, look, this might be what I'm dealing with now. But I'm getting stronger, not weaker. I'm overcoming, not falling apart. Hallelujah. I didn't like that verse. You know, that's Hebrews 2.10 where it talks about the suffering. I kept, I looked it up in the Greek just as hoping that it might say something really different in the Greek. Have you ever done that? You know, like maybe there's a deep, maybe there's a translation that'll say what I want it to say. Maybe the message Bible will tell me what I want to hear about this. No, the suffering is real. Life is suffering, difficulty. But it is in the suffering of life, the difficulties that we press through. You know, I was telling some of you that are older like us, you know, older couples, you'll, you know, you'll know this is true. When you look back at points, we tell young couples this because they're going through difficulty, you know, like we don't have any money and, you know, we don't, we can't go do all the things like we want to go do and, and it's hard and we got little kids and, and so Sharon and I, we, we, what they look at as suffering, we now look at with joy. Not because we don't have kids, but because because you always have kids, all right, always. That never changes. But because those are some of our fondest memories is those times whenever we had to sit around and eat mac and cheese with, with um, hot dogs cut up in it. And we don't feel like we suffer. I mean, then it felt like suffering, right? When we lived on, when our groceries, to buy groceries every month for us, for, for three of us, 
was 35 bucks a month. That's what we had to buy groceries in 1981. And we'd go to the store and I'd buy bacon ends and pieces. You couldn't buy real bacon, you know, which bacon ends and pieces is nothing but bacon fat. Yeah, it's unfried pork rinds. And so I'd buy a whole box of it for a couple of bucks, and then we'd buy two dozen eggs, and that was my breakfast every day was bacon ends and pieces. Same thing every single day. And we'd buy, you know, you could buy like six boxes of macaroni and cheese for a, a dollar, and you just buy, you know, those. But don't you, you that are older couples, when you look back at those days, those are some of your fondest memories of those difficulties that you went through with your family. You couldn't do everything. You couldn't go every place, you know. Camping was suffering. <laughs> right? Because when we went camping, we didn't have a camper. We borrowed a tent that had holes in it and leaked. And we had to listen to our kids say all weekend, why are we doing this? Why are we here? What are we doing? I'm bored. Hey, we're having a great time, right? But see, the thing is, is that when you think back about those challenging times, the suffering, it's the great, it's the great memories of our life because you overcame them and because you became stronger. The cave is also, the reality of the cave is, is it's a place of separation. David was cut off from everybody pretty much. I mean, he ended up, his family finally came to him, but he was relatively cut off in separation. Separation can do very difficult things to us. Not being around the people we love, the people that we care about can, can be difficult. And you know, look, I'm, I love the internet. I'm glad for the internet, but it, the internet is not the same as in person. I mean, you know, it's just really hard to, you know, I mean, I, we, we had to go to my granddaughter. We didn't have to, we wanted to go to my granddaughter's uh, birthday party. We took a gift up to her and we couldn't go in the house. We had to stand outside the window and talk to her. It's not the same as being in the room, as hugging. But look, in all that separation, I, it doesn't end there. And then life is not always gonna be that way, forever, okay? So the cave can be a real difficult place. Maybe you find yourself in a cave today, a cave of difficulty. Maybe you're in a financial cave right now or you're in a health cave or you're in a family cave. It's just this place where you feel separated and you feel like you're suffering in the middle of that and, and you really feel in the middle of all of that suffering and separation that you have great sorrow. But let me talk to you about what I believe happens really in the cave. I believe that revelation comes to us in the cave. I really do. I believe revelation. I believe a deep... And when I talk about revelation, what, what I'm... I, let's, let's not make it all mystical. Revelation means that you take something like a table that's covered over with a, a tarp and you take the tarp off the table, all right? So whatever you could kind of see the outline of, all of a sudden becomes crystal clear to you when you're able to see what's actually under the tarp. I think in the cave, when I think when we're in that moment in the cave, what God is trying to do, first of all, God does not want you to stay in the cave. God's plan is to get you out of the cave because you can't help nobody in the cave, all right? You're going to be in there. Now, David finally got, he took these guys that were in the cave. He took all these in-debt guys, all these, these guys all became the mighty men. I mean, they became the most powerful warriors because in the cave, what was happening to them is they were receiving a revelation that exceeded the life that they had already lived. 
They had lived in debt. They had lived in despair. They had lived broken. But in the cave, what happened was that they found a revelation of being something greater. And so you got guys that come out of this cave that they actually kill giants. You got guys that come out of this cave that actually kill lions. You got guys that come out of this cave that get in a fight with a, an, an Egyptian who's seven foot tall and has a giant spear. And this guy just walks over and takes the spear from the Egyptian and kills him with his own spear. You have people whose whole life turned around while they were in the cave. So here's the thought that I have for us this morning. Are we letting God transform us in the cave? Are we receiving the greater revelation? Are we receiving the revelation from the Lord? And the first part of that, there are three revelations I want to talk to you about that I believe happen in the cave, and then we'll finish, we'll be done this morning. The first is a revelation of clarity. Clarity. What's, what, what is it? Who am I? You know, the great question we have to be able to answer in our lives is, who am I? And we can only answer that by first saying to ourselves, who is God to me? See, my definition of me doesn't come from my mom, my dad, doesn't come from the U.S. government, doesn't come from the church even. My definition of who I am comes from the one who created me, my divine creator, the clarity of who I am. When I know who he is, then I know who I am. When I know what he has, then I know what I have. And when I know what he will do, then I know what I can do. And what we have to have in the, in the cave when we, we go through this process the right way is we come out with a revelation of clarity. We're not saying what everybody else is saying. We're not looking at life the same way everybody else is looking at life. We're coming out with this revelation of clarity and understanding that we know that in the midst of all of this, that we see the hand of God moving in our lives, the things that God is doing. We see God in a greater perspective. We know that we're not what everybody has told us that we are. But we know that we're a child of God. We know that we have a place in the heavens. That's what David was crying out in the cave. He's saying, Lord, you're my refuge. Help me to be the guy, the person that I need to be, Lord God, because I know the way I feel right now. This is not who I, I'm supposed to be. And that clarity that comes in the cave to David, it's the same clarity. I, I love it in the book of uh, Kings, and uh, you can read this later, but you know when Elijah, God said, Elijah, come out of the cave, and then he gave him a word. He gave him a word. Look, if you get comfortable staying in the cave, then you get used to the darkness. You do. You know, we could turn all the lights out in here, and we'd all get used to it after a while. And then and, and we could walk around, and our eyes would grow accustomed to it. But here's the thing. God didn't call us. To, we're not darkness dwellers. We're children of the light. We're to be out. We're to be light. We're to take light wherever we go. We're to expose as we go out into this world, this world of darkness, we're to expose it to the light of God's glorious gospel. Amen. We're the light of the world. Amen. We're the light of the world, the revelation of clarity. That comes to us while we're in the cave. The clarity of what God has for us. Have you been asking God, God, what's my future? God, what's your plan for me? What's my purpose, God? God, what do you think about me? God, how do you 
How do you see us? How do you see me, God, working in the future? What do you see happening for me? That's the revelation that David. See, I'm telling you that David came out of the cave a changed man. And he brought a bunch of changed men out with him. How are you coming out of your cave? Is it changing you for the better or for the worse? Are you becoming stronger or are you becoming weaker? Are you more focused or are you more scattered? Are things more clear or have things become more foggy? Clarity comes, the revelation of clarity. And I think that revelation of clarity comes because of the next revelation. You won't like this one. It's the revelation of correction. That God corrects us. You know, whom God loves, he corrects. Whom God loves. A parent that loves their children corrects their children. If you don't love your kids, don't correct them. They'll destroy their own life. Correct them, and they will find the right path. We have a responsibility to allow God to correct us, to correct what's wrong as God speaks. You know how many, I mean, you know, I mean, course corrections, things that God is saying, look, this needs to go in your life. This needs to come in your life. This needs, this person, you need to stay away from these people. You need to get around these people. You need to listen to this. You need to stop listening to that. All the corrections that God makes in our life. You need to stop doing these sinful things. And you've known they were wrong for a long time, but you just haven't been able to make the correction. It's time to make the correction. It's time to to get on the right path, okay? It's time to, this revelation of correction that comes that God wants us to have in our life. God wants us to have that correction, that revelation of it. You know, difficulties will expose our heart like few other things can. When I was in, um, in, 19, in the early 90s, 1990s, um, I was... Uh, my daughter was in a bike wreck, a terrible one. Some of you know that story. It was devastating to me. Um, my, my heart was broke. Sharon's heart was broke. I mean, I, I mean, we were serving God, and we got really mad at God. I mean, we were like, God, where were you? Why weren't you there? Why didn't you protect her? Why didn't you keep this all right? And I mean, she had snapped her jaw in half, lost several permanent teeth. And uh, you wouldn't know it looking at her today, but, I mean, it was a devastating. My little baby, you think about that parents, your little baby suffering and crying, and she would, and I didn't know what, I couldn't do anything for her. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And you know, you, I, you say, well, it's speaking the name of Jesus. Listen, that way, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get the words. Maybe you've never been there, but I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth to be a man of faith. Sharon and I were broken. We were hurting for our daughter. And I, I, one of us stayed at the hospital with her. And I, so I said, I'm staying. So I laid at the end of her bed in the hospital for, for uh, several days, actually. Um, and, uh, and I just, I, God was trying to talk to me. See, when you start learning things about God, you can't get away from God talking to you. So like you start hearing, I start hearing verses. And in my first thought, I was like, look, I'm ticked at you. Don't talk to me right now. Leave me alone. Now, don't judge me because I'm t telling you the truth. I'm like, look, I, 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 you let me down, man. You, you should have been there. And I'm not real happy between you and me right now. 
But as I sat there over a period of time and working through it, God began to, God began to speak to me. And he said, listen, if you'll let me, I'll help you through this. And I, I actually wrote a book about it that's called uh, What to Do When the Dam Breaks and Your Boat Won't Float. And I mean, it was just, uh, and it was such chaos for us. But it was out of that that I, God said, I want you to go through the Bible and look at everybody that had a bad day. And I want you to look at what they did. Because they all did something. And they all didn't die because they were having a bad day. So I did. And I, and I mean, God just began to show stuff to me out of that. But it was in the midst of that that God corrected me. See, God doesn't chasten us with sickness. He doesn't chasten, he doesn't correct us with disease. He, you know, I, I know people say, the virus is a correction of God upon the country. All right, well, look, the country should have been dead a long time ago because it's been a terrible sin in our nation for a long time. Amen. And if, and if God wipes out if God wipes out cities because of terrible things, then there's a few there's he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Because there's a few cities where things are very, very corrupt. Now, God didn't give the God didn't make a God doesn't make viruses, God didn't put the virus, he's not punishing people. You know, you're not better if you didn't get the virus than someone who did get the virus. This is an adversary. This is a devil that's doing this. It's a destructive thing to create because look what it creates, fear. God does not create fear. God is a faith God, not a fear God. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. So the correction that God brings to us, if you're not going to encourage me, I'll encourage myself. <laughs> but look, God's a faith God. And God brings us to a place of faith. And he says, look, you need to correct this in your life. You need to make course corrections. You're heading the wrong direction. So you use, this is what we talked about at the beginning of the year. I mean, just go right back to what we talked about. When you have a gun that doesn't shoot right, you know, you have that rifle and, and, and you're looking at it and, and you're firing that gun and it seems like even though your sights are right on, but you can't hit your target, your sights are not right on. I know you'd like to blame the gun. It's the gun's fault. Right? It's the gun. Barrel must be bent or something. Some, the bullets must not be, must have got them at Walmart or someplace. They're not real good bullets. No, here's the problem. The, the sighting is not correct. And to correct it, what you've got to do is you've got to, this is a proven fact, you've got to take the settings on that rifle and you've got to take them down to zero. And then you start clicking a little bit at a time to get the settings right on that rifle so that you get the sighting to be right. You can't do it any other way. You can't just do it by eyesight. You gotta, if you want it to be accurate, then you have to take it to zero. We as God's people have faced a great zero in our life right now. Now we can gripe about the zero, we can blame the ammunition, we can blame the gun, we can blame everything else, but we are at a reset point in our life. And it's at the reset that what God is trying to do is say, look, you're at reset, so now get yourself and begin to make the right adjustments so that you can be more accurate in what you're doing in your life. It's called calibration. Some of you remember that I talked about that earlier this year. 
This is a year of calibration. We were warned by God in the beginning. I didn't know how it was all going to play out. You know, I'm always glad God doesn't show me everything because we would definitely screw everything up, right, if he did. But God said, calibrate. How are you calibrating your life right now? Are you spending more time with God, less time with God? Are you spending more time growing, developing, getting your focus, thinking about the future, or less time thinking about the future? Say, well, Pastor, I'm old, so why should I be thinking about the future? Because you're still alive, friend. And God's got plans for your life. And it's not just to dwindle away to nothing. Hallelujah. A revelation of correction. And then the last one, which ties right into this, is a revelation of commission. And that's where God shows you where you're going and what you're going to be going to be doing. The cave, come out of it. But before you come out, make sure that you let it do what it's supposed to do. Make sure it's done what it's supposed to do, and that is to change us to be what God has called us to be, to lay aside. You know, the, the Scripture says in Hebrews, lay aside the sin and the weight that so easily takes you out. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure for all of us there are certain sins and certain weights that can take us out pretty fast. There are certain people that can take us out pretty fast and put us in the wrong spiritual frame of mind. We're to lay all that aside so that we can run the freedom with the freedom, the liberty that God has called us to in the race that he set before us. Can you say amen? The cave, come out of the cave. How do we come out? We don't come out like we went in. And we don't come out worse than we went in. We come out stronger. We come out more focused. We come out with a greater commission about what God has called us to do. And we come out in a relationship that isn't what it was when we went in, but a relationship with our God that is much deeper and much more meaningful than it ever was in our lives before. My spiritual walk with God, not because I've had more time, just because of the focus of it, these are the best days of my life. Hallelujah. These are the best. I walked outside the other day and I thought, this is the best that my life has ever felt right now. Hallelujah. And I only expect it to get better, so it's pretty good right now. Hallelujah. What's the choices you're making in the cave as you get ready to come out? What are you saying to yourself? Make that choice. I'm going to come out with a greater revelation of clarity. I'm going to take the correction that God gives me, and I'm going to come out with a stronger commission. Amen? I want you to stand with me, if you would, this morning. I'm going to ask our um, leadership, my, my uh, pastoral staff, I told them that we would pray today for any of you that want prayer. Um, our choice is not, I mean on our hands, and if you're fine with that, we will do that, but uh, our choice is, is that we would just pray over specific needs that folks had here today, um, so uh, next week we'll have our alder workers back to work, but
If you'd like prayer, look, if you're facing a difficulty, I know there's some stuff that's going on. I know there's a whole bunch of people in our state that haven't gotten unemployment yet, that are still struggling, uh, can't seem to get the system to work right. We definitely want to pray with you here. Um, I'm going to ask you that if you're not coming up for prayer, that uh, you would just go ahead and feel the liberty to go ahead and go or get your picture in the lobby um, and uh, just practice distancing as you go out, if you would, for, uh, for the people that are around you's sake. And uh, we appreciate that. We will be here at the altar. I don't know if there's any music you could play back there, Morgan. Okay. And uh, amen. And uh, so take advantage of taking your picture. And God bless you guys. Have a great, great day today. We will be up here to pray with you. So.